0: This is Seattle's Morning News, Dave Ross, with Colleen O'Brien and Chris Sullivan. And now to talk about uh, keeping secrets, here is CBS Business Analyst and, for today at least, relationship consultant uh, Jill Schlesinger. You're saying that couples keep secrets from each other when it comes to money? Shocking, right? I mean, they keep
1: secrets from each other about a lot of things, but money is definitely one of them. And, you know, listen, I am not breaking news here. Everybody knows this. And I think the funny thing about money, though, is that... It is truly this concrete way that you can express a lot of relationship ills. It's just the problem is that it it can really fester and get in the way of some big, broad financial goals. So, you know, when we talk about financial infidelity, it's a very broad-based category because this is according to a bank rate survey that came out. So it's everything from... um, Something that I don't think is so horrible, and most couples have this situation where you have, you know, you spend a little bit more than your partner would be okay with, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I did a little bit, We went a little crazy at Nordstrom's. Okay, (laughs) Um, but that is in the same category as having a secret credit card account or having a secret savings or checking account, which seems to me a much more significant issue. But when we look at that whole category of unfaithful, Bankrate found that 39 percent report being financially unfaithful in one of those ways. Wow.
0: That seems to be a lot to me.
1: Yeah, I know. But, you know, if again, if a whole bunch of those people are like, yeah, I spent a little bit too much on, uh, you know, this thing. Or, you know, my wife thinks I spend too much on blank, or my husband thinks I spend too much on my, You know what I mean? Like, that's, yeah. that's way different than the secret account.
0: Right. Well, I mean, the worst thing, it seems to me, would be if you discovered suddenly that uh, one or the other of you had invested, like, half of the nest egg in crypto, Right.
1: Well, you know, there is something to be said for having like an account that's separate that each of you maintain that you agree to. Like, then Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be a secret. That's why I think fessing up is very smart, because it may be that one of you has like a little bit of an itch. Like, I want to be an individual stock trader, and I want to buy crypto, and I want to do this, and I want to do that. Fine. Let's define the amount of money that we agree to put aside that you can blow, that could go to zero, but Mm -hmm. that I don't have to worry about, I don't have to think about, and it's not going to put our fi- family's financial future at risk. So that to me seems okay. It's just a, again coming together and sharing the information. The other aspect of this that regardless of the infidelity stuff, I do think that there is a real problem with couples where one is doing The heavy lifting on the tasks of the financial obligations, Mm -hmm. and the other one is not. I don't think there's a problem with working to your partner's strength. You know, if I'm a great cook, and you, Dave, are a fantastic investment person, or you really like it, great, let's each go to do our thing. But... It's not okay for me as the uninvolved spouse when it comes to financial stuff to abdicate responsibility. I have to know what is the system, where are the passwords? If I don't if I really don't feel confident in my ability to do it on my own, who would I turn to if something happened to my spouse who was handling the money? What is the basic bill paying system? You know, I was just talking to somebody recently who lost her wife and she said to me, "You know, I don't even know how she paid the bills." Like I was completely left in the dark and yeah, that's that, not good
0: that's a problem so it's that's okay to it's okay to have your own sandbox account but you have to be upfront about it
1: i think so and i think that um especially if you're coming together later in life or it's your second relationship right you have your you have the way that you've managed your life right. but as a couple if you are somehow taking over responsibility for something jointly the disclosure of how you're doing what you're doing is incredibly important
0: so there's got to be trust there. That's the bottom line. Huh?
1: Yeah, isn't that the
0: case? I yeah. mean, really. So did, did the survey, um, I, I've i also heard from time to time just how badly Americans are at preparing for retirement, that, that so many people just don't have a nest egg at all. Has that improved at all?
1: I didn't talk about that, but I'm going to tell you about retirement because I think that there is a real, you know, I, we've been talking about um, in the political arena about this idea around changing social security this that, and the other thing and what i want to just express to folks is that a large portion of americans rely on social security for retirement income right mm-hmm. and and it's not just that it's the additive part it is like the soul part so i think that what people don't understand especially people who have a few bucks is that there are a lot of americans whose only source of income as they age is Social Security. So ideas of changing that or delaying when they can access that is pretty scary. So um, we don't have a wonderful system about how, you know, we help people save. I think the SECURE Act 2.0, which is the legislation that added on to the SECURE Act of uh, last December, um, that you know, it is trying to get people involved and automatically enrolled in retirement plans. Mm-hmm. But for a lot of Americans, if you don't have a plan through work, it's tough to save. So yeah. we have to just care, be careful about our expectations. So is
0: the idea of that act to basically urge everyone to get into an account that involves a financial advisor? Like, like um, their, their own you know, IRA or what?
1: It, it's really about an automatic enrollment, not so much with an advisor, but a way to save automatically uh-huh. and a way to access money. You know, a lot of people don't use 401ks or 403bs because they're not offered them through their workplace. Right. And so the, the Secure Act 2.0 is a way to help. The smaller employers put together plans where they can get people enrolled automatically. And what we find is that when people are automatically enrolled, guess what? They use it. But when you have to opt in to do it, you don't use it. It's a weird behavioral finance thing where, you know, the act of having to do or undo or any action required on the individual is usually the path of nothing happening. So if we automatically enroll people and we say you have to actually opt out, they don't opt out that often but if we say you're not automatically enrolled you must opt in they don't opt in that often so like people are busy they're doing their stuff and if you're insecure about your abilities in managing money it's hard to opt in or opt out because you don't know what you're doing
0: it makes sense it seems to me if everybody had a little bit of their salary put into like one of those incredible i bonds you know they get this amazing interest rate so that you retire and suddenly realize oh i'm a millionaire
1: you know it's, it's a very thorny issue, retirement, and it's, it's tough when you are thinking about your own retirement to understand that you are not actually um, maybe as in good or bad shape as you think, but you actually have to run the numbers to determine where you are.
0: CBS Business Analyst, Jill Schlesinger. Thank you, Jill. Thank you. Morning News, this is Dave Ross with Colleen O'Brien and Chris Sullivan. Can you lower your blood pressure without taking blood pressure medicine? Let's consult the doctor.
2: Major
0: Dr. Gordon Cohen. Dr. Cohen, MD. Dr. Cohen, there was an article in Medical News Today which says if you follow these 15 suggestions, you can lower your blood pressure naturally, which I would normally, uh, I normally consider this clickbait, but given that it was from an authoritative source, I thought we'd call you as a cardiac surgeon. And uh, you could tell us if this actually works. I think it's pretty accurate. And it's something that we don't usually think about. As we've
3: talked about previously, people tend to just sort of hand their care over to their doctor, hand their well-being over to their doctor. And, you know, if they have a problem, well, they get a prescription for a medication. They take it, and it's pretty easy to deal with. But... Actually, that's not always the best thing. And there's certainly a lot of things that we can do on our own. So as it turns out, high blood pressure is pretty common. It affects one in three people in the United States and over a billion people worldwide. So it's actually a major problem. And uncontrolled blood pressure raises your risk for heart disease, stroke. So the things that can be done naturally, the things you can do to take care of yourself are often things that we sort of already know. Like exercise. Exercise is great because it's free, it's easy. Maybe you don't like to do it, but you don't necessarily have to go to a gym. Really just walking every single day and getting in a good number of steps is a good way to do that. And so exercise really helps because it makes our heart stronger and more efficient. And when we do this, it lowers the pressure in our arteries. Doctors often will recommend right off the bat if you have high blood pressures, to eat less salt in your diet, Have it start to consume a low sodium diet. That's because salt causes to hold water in our body. We all know that. If you think of our bloodstream, our blood vessels as a series of pipes with a fixed volume, and then we suddenly add a bunch of water to them, that water can only stay within those pipes under one way, and that's if we increase the pressure in the pipes. And so that gives us high blood pressure. So if we eat less salt, we'll have less in our blood vessels and our pressure will go down. So that's a pretty easy one to do, but it requires a little practice. So it's not something where I ever recommend just going from high sodium to low sodium because you won't tolerate it and you won't do it. So you gotta do it gradually. Start by not adding additional salt to your food then maybe start making choices where you're not eating foods that are as salty. And maybe at some point you get to the place where you're just having some low sodium foods and the foods actually start to taste better. So that's always a good one. Drinking less alcohol is very effective. Consumption of some alcohol is good. Small to moderate amounts can actually have cardiovascular benefits. But when we start to exceed that, you can start to have an opposite effect. And we've talked about if you have no alcohol, the risk of heart disease is high. But as if, if you consume some alcohol, the risk drops. But then if you go too far and you start to drink too much, it goes
0: back up. Yeah. Now, in your, in your practice, have you had patients who you've told, okay, look, if you don't want to take blood pressure medicine, uh, try these 15 things, and they actually did it? And didn't need the medicine? Yeah, people who make
3: a lifestyle change do it all the time. People who say that they're going to change the way they eat, who reduce the amount of sodium they consume, who cut back on carbohydrates and refined foods, who start to exercise, cut back on alcohol, stop smoking. People do it all the time. And it can be quite dramatic. And a lot of the wellness programs that are available actually do exactly this they actually have you monitor your blood pressure so that you're aware of it because sometimes you bury your head in the sand you're not going to make any progress mm-hmm. but you actually monitor your blood pressure you monitor what you eat your monitor activity you you essentially uh, track all these things and people do it all the time they have tremendous success at not only lowering their blood pressure, but lowering their weight, increasing their metabolism, and increasing their overall health. So yes, this can all be done naturally. Now, that's not to say that 100% of people who have hypertension can do it with lifestyle change alone. There are people out there who can make a lifestyle change and not be able to achieve complete success in terms of lowering their blood pressure, but they certainly, in almost 100% of cases, can reduce the amount of medication that they may have to take. Well, that
0: is good news. Dr. Gordon Cohen, MD. Dr. Cohen, thank you. Thanks, Dave. news this is dave ross we of course are in the middle of a fentanyl epidemic and it's uh, been very frustrating from uh, time to time we talk with casey McNerthney of the king county prosecutor's office and i'm wondering what the justice system can do to help at least get this under control so casey tell me what the king county prosecutor's role is in this so there's a few different things
4: probably the most common thing is charging drug dealers and in the last six months there's been 215 of those charges based on the referrals from law enforcement agencies across king county and about 70 percent of those are fentanyl or meth or both
0: and what does it take i mean because people are always complaining we're seeing open-air drug deals taking place on the streets and and you know where are the police where where's the prosecution and you're saying that you are actively pursuing those cases
4: We are, and Seattle police are doing a really good job to get those undercover buy operations to try to identify the people who are moving a lot of fentanyl, you know, and even in the last couple months, the last six weeks, there have been dozens of pounds of fentanyl that have been taken off the streets, but that's only one part of it. There's a lot of different elements that go into it. The difficulty that I think a lot of people have and, and, and don't realize is that in February of 21, the Blake decision out of the state Supreme Court made drug possession no longer a felony and and so those cases of people even using hard drugs of fentanyl heroin meth on the streets those are cases that don't come to us anymore
0: right but i mean you still can prosecute people for selling or handing out drugs right
4: oh yeah and we're doing that almost every day most of those and and even the operations that have been ongoing around 3rd and Pike and 2nd and Bell don't always make the news, but they're certainly happening all the time. And another thing that we can do when we can show that a drug dealer caused a death is file uh, a charge called controlled substance homicide.
0: So the person who sold the drug becomes responsible for the user's death.
4: Right. Joe Marcassano is a senior deputy prosecutor in our office, and he's really one of the experts in the state of Washington on these cases. And here's him describing what those scenes are like.
5: So our advice when we're speaking with either detectives or patrol officers is when they have an overdose case, they should start treating it like a potential crime scene immediately. And so that means... Photographing, uh, seizing potential evidence for for future search warrants, interviewing witnesses that might be there. Oftentimes, it, previously these cases weren't treated as that.
0: Oh, so that represents a change then in the, in the police department's approach.
5: Yeah, and Bellevue and Kirkland police are,
4: are really kind of the ones who are leading the way in King County, especially in Bellevue. There's a. Detective Michael Dolce, who's really excellent at these investigations. And it can be very hard for family members. Here's Joe talking about the nuances of the law and how that can be tough with with what it feels like.
5: For family members, this feels like an intentional homicide because fentanyl is so prevalent and so well known for being so deadly. Family members feel, for the most part, that, hey, this drug dealer knew exactly what they were doing. They sold it to my loved one. My loved one passed away. It feels intentional to me. And the law makes it read like the statute is very easy to prove that all you have to do is show a drug delivery and that someone passed away.
0: He's saying that's, and he's saying that's not the case. So, wait a minute, though. I mean, the way I the way I understand it, fentanyl is pretty much like poison. and And, and if somebody was handing out, rat poison on the streets, that would be murder, wouldn't it?
4: The law doesn't look at it that way.
0: So when you compare it, for
4: example, to a gun, like shooting randomly into a crowd, you know what a bullet will do. With fentanyl, you've got to show a couple of things in order to to prove this case. And what's also hard, too, is there's no attempted controlled substance homicide, where there is an assault or attempted murder, what you've got to do to prove these cases, and here's where it gets tough, is show that the exact drug delivery was what caused the death. And oftentimes with people who overdose, um, they can have multiple drugs in their system. And so the defense, understandably, will say you don't know exactly which drug killed them. And so you've got to Mm -hmm. have that from the medical examiner and then show clearly that it was a, a certain specific drug delivery that led to a person's death and sometimes the longer the time elapses between when someone is given fentanyl or buys fentanyl and their death the harder it is to prove but those are things that that prosecutors and police are working on to try to show these cases and even in cases where we can't prove beyond a reasonable doubt controlled substance homicide we can still charge the person with drug delivery
0: i'm trying to figure out who we're protecting by this law yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I mean why, really, why, I, why do why do we make it so difficult? If you've got, I understand. Okay, if you've just got drugs on your person, we can't go around hoovering you up. But if you're handing them out, I mean, I, I remember we. Uh, my parents told me you don't, don't even take an aspirin from somebody, you know, at school from someone you don't know. Um, why can't we be a little tougher when it comes to uh, handing out drugs?
4: Trying to figure out how to update these laws would be the best way to do that, because there are many situations and prosecutors deal with this all the time. And police do, too, where it feels obvious. It feels so clear. But proving that in court is a very different thing. And So I think the way to solve that would be to go to state lawmakers and say, hey, we can rewrite this law or or we can update this law to make it clearer or at least update it for the fentanyl
0: prices that we're in, yeah, because the dealers know this, right The dealers must know how difficult it is
4: it's interesting where we haven't seen evidence where where there's clearly someone trying to kill their their drug buyer, but it, it certainly happens and it's what makes it hard too is that you you know we've seen cases where people ha- have had hundreds of m thirty fentanyl pills and n- not died from it, and then we've seen cases where people have had one and then passed away, and so it's 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 so scary that you don't know which pill is will be the one that may kill you. And also having to prove that in court is, is very difficult.
0: So Joe is on a mission here, huh?
4: He absolutely is. I mean, and, and he's, he's great to put in the time to this and the officers who investigate this too. I asked him, you know, with these cases being so hard and there have been 16 that have been charged since 2004, you know, and mostly in the last two or three years that we've had those cases. But, you know, I'm to ask Joe, why do you work on these so hard? And here's what he had to say.
5: I think that people have a right to know uh, what happened to their loved one, regardless of what we're going to do with the case, regardless of whether we have enough evidence to charge it one way or another. I think that we have an obligation to be transparent and tell people what we know happened.
0: So then uh, he also has to explain what the the criminal justice system can and cannot do.
4: Right. And that can be the hardest part to talk to families because usually it seems so obvious and of course this is what killed them but proving that exactly the way the law is written is hard and oftentimes he's talking to families who have lost an 18 year old or a 19 year old or a young person and it's just it's really devastating
0: Casey McNerthney from the King County Prosecutor's Office Casey thank you
6: you bet thanks Dave Time for the Daily Dose of Kindness now. It's brought to you by Heritage Homecraft. It's a story about forgiveness and how it can lead to redemption. CBS's Steve Hartman has the story.
7: Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, city councilman Ralph Rodriguez Trying to scare away a would-be burglar He was at this, so literally at the window I saw him crying The guy was he trying to break into the office of a nonprofit Rodriguez runs He just kind of took off Just kept running Just that kept way. going, yep All the perpetrator left behind was this grainy image on a doorbell camera So he could have gotten away with it If only he hadn't reached out to Rodriguez on social media offering his name and his confession. I have to be willing to face the consequences, and that is what I'm ready to do. For most crime victims, that would be case closed. But for Ralph Rodriguez, it was opportunity opened. He didn't want to add another young man to the prison rolls, especially one with no prior criminal record. So instead of pressing charges, he pressed for answers. So you decide to meet this guy? Absolutely. And I actually took the time to hear his story, see the environment in which he lives in, and I get it. Poverty has a way of pushing you to do things that you would have never imagined you were even capable of doing. 22-year-old Rashawn Turner agreed to talk with us.
0: I made a severe lapse in my judgment that night. My father was
8: struggling with basic needs, and I was like, I can't sit here and just wait for what
7: little we still have to be taken away. I have to do something. And when Ralph Rodriguez heard that, he did something. Making sure he's financially good and has just some clothes on his back. So you started sending him money? Absolutely. The guy who just tried to ride. Absolutely. Yep. Because what he doesn't need anymore is any more disappointments. I'm pretty sure people have told him things in his life and dropped the ball 10 out of 10 times. It's just not what I'm prepared to do. And that's what you're bringing. In. So Rodriguez turned the other yep. cheek. You see how close we got to that? Gave him part-time work painting the very place he just tried to burglarize and set him up with job training. See that?
8: I thought that there would be no one willing to help me, but you never know. You just
7: have to ask. But I wasn't willing to ask. What are you going to do with this chance? Not waste it. Let me look up this permit. Test. Ralph Rodriguez, the best kind of crime fighter. You just need a shot. Steve Hartman. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't try my best to get you that shot, man. On the road in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. What a story. Wow.
0: 747 now from the G and Ursula Show, which starts at 9 here on Cairo News Radio. Here is G Scott. So what do you mean when you say that the, it was it was a great game until the end? Oh, man. It was a phenomenal game. Back and forth. First time in a long time that
8: the game is way better than the commercials. Um, and then it wasn't. And that was the third down and eight uh, holding, defensive holding oh, yes. that the referees called. And it was just a call. I mean, was it technically, was it a flag? Sure. But my buddy, Mike Sando, uh, who um, who talks a lot about football, you guys probably heard of him. I think he said it best. It was like going 65 in a 60 and then getting a speeding tic- tic- mm-hmm. ticket. Technically, yes. Were you speeding? Okay, Sure. How many times have you gotten a sixty-five in a sixty speeding ticket? Never. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> they give you seven miles an hour, I think. Right. So again, so, it, it, it was so you're such saying a big it didn't
0: because it didn't change the game and it wasn't a substantial enough penalty. No,
8: it, it yeah. just it just wasn't. I mean, you just don't. Maybe regular season you call that, but not the Super Bowl. Not that right there. And look, I don't even have a horse in the race in right. this case. And a lot of people, especially if you're in this area in the Seattle area, you're a Seahawks fans so but at the same time you watched a good game and then everything was great until it it wasn't and they could have kicked the field goal then the Eagles have an opportunity to
0: respond it's just like they got to keep it from there on and it was just not good what about the decision not to deliberately not run it into the end zone and just go for the field goal instead it was very smart. It was very smart of uh, McKinnon to do
8: that. That was called being unselfish. He could have had his name in the record books to saying that he officially scored in the Super Bowl, be able to tell his grandkids, but he put team over self. Good on McKinnon to do that right there. He didn't score. didn't give opportunity for the Eagles to go down and match that score. Oh, I hated the good teamwork by him as well. I hadn't thought G- about it that way. What's up, Colleen? In- what's up, girl?
6: I hear I'm trying to jump in here from my home studio. I want to talk about the important things, like the best food you ate yesterday <laughs> and Rihanna.
8: Yo, yo, so the best food was simple... Shout out to my homeboy, Kevin, who bought all of the seafood. I'm talking about like, seafood, uh, crab, like $600 worth of crab. Fancy. No doubt. However, I didn't eat none of that. <laughs> the best food of the night was a sushi bake. And a, a sushi bake. And Lillian made a Biscoff. Pound cake, you know, out of the Biscoff cookies. Whoa. Heaven. And then we had some nachos. My girl Cheryl made this dip. That was crazy. That was the best food I had all night.
6: I'm really happy for you. That sounds delicious. I know. Okay, and then I don't understand the American tradition of tearing down the Super Bowl halftime performer immediately after he or she performs. I think just have fun. I thought Rihanna did amazing, and the fact that she did it pregnant, it has to be one of the top shows, just for that fact.
8: Yeah, I, I agree with you, but here's the thing, though, Colleen, so there's, you know, uh, the men and women in the house, the fellas, we fellas, we were loving the performance, and then when the performance was done... I went to ask the ladies and they were like eh, it was okay and I thought wow and I think the reason why they said it was okay and the reason why there's a lot of people today that's kind of saying it's okay is that let's be real Rihanna's performance is being compared to okay where does she stack up against the other super time uh, halftime performances and if you want to go there then I'll agree with you. She does not stack up against them. But can't we just, like you're saying, Colleen? Can't just we just ap- Can we just appreciate Rihanna for what she's done? Oh, but that's she's incredible. I thought she was she was good. I thought she was she was good. But the thing is, is you can't when you compare her to the Michael Jacksons and the Princes and the Bruno Marses and and then last Madonna. year's yeah, Madonna's good. And then last year's performance of with
0: Dr. Dre and all those guys, mm-hmm. it's rough to do. Hmm. So, the ads. Terrible. Well, but you admitted you got the, 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 Tubi, the Tubi ad fooled you, because th- that happened at our party, too. Suddenly, everybody looks up and says, oh, something's wrong with the TV. So, Colleen, check this out. Mm-hmm. I didn't know
8: that I got tricked by Tubi until this morning.
6: I don't even know what Tubi is, to be honest with you.
8: Okay, well, it's it's, it's like a it's another it's a streaming, it's a service. streaming service, like oh. a, like a Hulu and yeah, Netflix yeah. and all that. <clears throat> so when it happened at our at the place that I was at, I thought it was my homeboy Rick <clears throat> just messing with the remote, like he always does. <laughs> so it was no big deal. And then after he did that, I asked one of my other home. I said, "Hey, have you guys ever looked up and, and watched anything on Tubi?" And then we had a five minute discussion about Tubi still had no clue. None of us even said came out and was like, oh, we got tricked there. I didn't find out I got fooled until looking at social media this morning and I thought, oh,
0: yeah, didn't even know. So you got tricked too, huh? It was it was like a takeover. Yeah, I mean, because you, you immediately you're so used to your TV burping from time to time, you know, <laughs> just going off by itself, yeah. that when when something like that happens, you immediately look up and say, "Oh, I pressed the wrong button." So in that way, it was genius. It was it was absolutely
8: genius. Um, your thoughts on the commercials, Colleen?
6: I didn't get to watch too many of them, you know. I've been busy uh, recovering from COVID, but uh, I'll have to watch the Tubi one for sure. <laughs> I also didn't want to forget to mention Chris Stapleton, yo, and his. Uh, I've, I've always known he's one of my top artists. What a voice! Yeah, but, yeah that was, that a, was good, a great. That was a great version. That was. A hey, great Chris!
8: Yeah. Hey, Chris Stapleton, getting invites to the barbecue. You feel me? I mean, <laughs> I do, the dude. Yes. The dude has. A phenomenal February. He goes from the Grammys to the Super Bowl. Yeah. Now, a lot of y'all in the country world, I know you guys are like, gee, we've always known. Okay, my bad. (laughs) We didn't know that he was going to get invited to the barbecue. That's how good Chris Stapleton is. Much deserved. And Dave
0: is invited to the barbecue as well. Oh, you're very nice. Thank you. Uh, you, What you bringing? I don't don't even know when it is. Okay. All right. Uh, (laughs) Gee Scott at 9 o'clock with Ursula. I ask the gentle strains of Washington my home. that's not it's not the original arrangement, but uh, the words appear to be the same. Anyway, that's the official state song. The official state fruit is the apple. The official state sport is pickleball. And as we all know, the official state grass is come on, come on. The blue bunch, can- wheatgrass. Can- oh, I thought it was going to yeah, say close. cannabis. Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: well, that's right. just play it is grass. <laughs> Yeah, uh, we've been a state tartan since 1991, officially accredited by the Council of the Scottish Tartan Society. But we do not have an official state nickname. Kyron News Radio's Nicole Jennings says there's an effort now to change that.
2: We can see the words "the evergreen state" everywhere, from T-shirts and keychains and souvenir shops to license plates to our state quarter. It's even the name of a state college. But believe it or not, lawmakers have never codified it as our state's official nickname. Democratic Senator Sam Hunt of Olympia also thought this had happened decades or even a century ago
3: I'm just amazed that what we had assumed for so long was part of our state is tradition and not codified anywhere
2: Republican Senator Jeff Wilson of Longview agrees and that's why he's sponsoring a bill to make the evergreen state the nickname on the books
6: this has been that associated nickname that we've somewhat assumed in all these years
2: Bremerton resident Timothy Lawnan has pushed lawmakers to do this for years
6: I just like to make this bill official finally and it's been three long years of me trying to get this official for the state
2: now this isn't the first time legislators have written a bill to make the evergreen state legitimate but these bills have always failed in the past this session however wilson's bill looks to be pretty popular nearly every senator from both sides of the aisle has signed on in support unofficially the nickname is as old as our state itself The phrase was first used in tourism marketing materials to describe our abundant forests in the early 1890s, just after Washington became a state. These brochures were handed out as far away as the 1893 World's Fair in Chicago. Also in 1893, then-Governor John H. McGraw used the name in his inaugural address. Senator Wilson says it's a fitting name.
6: Really what it implies is
2: something that can remain green, remain fresh. He's hopeful that this will finally be the year we officially become the Evergreen State. It's a fun bill and we should make this
6: legitimate. Our nicknames should stick and validate all those license plates and the stories that we tell our family, where you're from. It's easy to say now we're from the Evergreen State.
2: Reporting from the Evergreen State, Nicole Jennings, Cairo News Radio. So
0: why did the Department of Transportation, where did it get the funding for those giant green signs as soon as you cross the Columbia River, down, like you're down at Astoria, you get across, you go over to the, the other side. Yeah. Welcome to the evergreen state, those giant. I guess <laughs> like, somebody just decided just on their own. Just assume that on a, yeah. on a line item. Well, I'm glad, yeah, because I've never known it not to be the evergreen state. Yeah. State tree, by the way, is the western hemlock. The state flowers, the flowers, the coast rhododendron. The state vegetable is the Walla Walla sweet onion.
6: How is it? Oh, okay. Never mind.
0: And, and that is the that's the state frog. Oh, that geez. is the Pacific chorus frog. You got the state bivalve over there. I don't have the state bivalve. It's the gooey duck. It won out over the razor clam, Whoa. I believe, in a big fight in Olympia a de- more than a decade ago. It doesn't make a sound though, does it? Uh, <laughs> not, not really. No, digging in the in for, its uh, soft sand doesn't really. Yeah. Wet sand doesn't really make a noise. Thanks for listening to Seattle's Morning News, the podcast. I'm Dave Ross.
6: And I'm Colleen O'Brien. You can find our podcast weekday mornings right at 930.
0: And if you subscribe, you'll never miss the Daily Dose of Kindness.